to this new episode of Head and Heart, a podcast by Probe Ministries. I'm your host today, Paul Rutherford. Probe Ministries exists as a nonprofit Christian ministry to help Christians think biblically, have a biblical worldview to equip ambassadors for Christ and free those who are captive to culture. We're going to be talking today about the grand narrative of the Bible, the grand narrative of the Bible. And to do that, I have my friend and co-worker, colleague of several years, Tom Davis with us today. Tom, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Good. I'm doing all right. Glad to be having this conversation with you, man. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Why don't you tell the listener who hasn't met you before a little, like a short bio about yourself? My name's Tom Davis. Um, I got my undergrad in philosophy. I got an MA in Christian apologetics from Biola University. Uh, I've worked for the Baptist Student Ministries. I worked for Rosho Christie, and I did all that before coming here. I've been here at Probe for five years, you know, so I'm here doing research and and speaking of research, what uh, what are your interests? What are your areas of focus? Yeah, so I'm very interested in um, historical Jesus and biblical theology, kind of uh, the Bible as a whole and historical evidence for, for the Bible. Those are kind of things that I'm really interested in. All right, cool. Well, that makes sense given the conversation we're going to have, because today's topic is the grand narrative of the Bible. Because we're talking about the Bible. We're talking about the story of the Bible. And the story of this podcast is that secretly or not so secretly— Tom and I have talked about this quite a bit. This is a value for you, Tom, isn't it? This is something that you wish more believers knew about. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't think, I don't want to be hard on pastors and Bible school teachers because it's hard to do, but I don't think it gets taught enough. Um, You get bits and pieces. I know when I was growing up in the church, I got like just bits and pieces. I got, knew all the stories. I didn't know what order they went in. I didn't know how they fit together. I didn't know how one led you to the other one. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. I had a really similar experience. I wouldn't say that I knew how to tell the story of the Bible until really a few years ago, maybe a decade ago, something like that. It it, it felt like I had a lot of years in Sunday school, a lot of years in church, a lot, a lot of really honest and sincere Bible teachers who wanted to teach the Bible, but I, just like you described, I got it in bits and pieces. And there's good reasons for it, right? Because you, you want to be able to talk about something with significance that can make an impact on somebody. And you can't talk about everything, for sure. Any Anytime you're in Sunday school or a sermon, there's only so many minutes that they get. Yeah. 20, 30, 15, 40, 60 minutes, whatever the time frame is, it's always limited. But there does seem to be something missing if any particular believer never gets the whole thing. Like, hey, let's talk about the whole thing. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to spend the next you know, 20 minutes talking about the whole thing, right? Yeah, we're going to do like the thousand foot flyover. Thousand foot flyover. Let's do it. I like it. So that's, we've teed you up. So why don't you lay it on us, man? And in the simplest form that you can, hopefully our listener will get out of this, the ability to tell the story of the Bible pretty quickly and pretty succinctly, which is a huge book, a really long book. I've read it a few times. It took me a long time to do it every time. Yeah. Because it's a long book. Yeah. If you got one without many notes, it's what, 12, 1400 pages? Yeah. I'm on page 1000 right now. I'm reading through this year and... Yeah, I think it's going to go at least that long. Yeah. But yeah, without further ado, um, maybe you want to set it up first. That's fine. H- how are you going to tell the grand narrative of the Bible? Yeah, so there's there's different ways to approach the narrative. And there's different narratives that actually represent the Bible accurately that you can approach. So today, um, I'm going to focus on covenants. Um, covenants, a lot of Bible scholars will talk about covenants as the backbone of biblical theology. Okay, before you go farther, 
what does the word covenant mean? A covenant is an agreement made by two parties. Uh, the closest thing we have to it today would be like a treaty between two countries. And so it's an agreement made between two parties, a kind of a senior party and a junior party. And in this, you know, in the Bible, God is the senior party and the people or Israel, you know, we'll go through this and it, the distinctions will come out. But God's the senior party and the people are the junior party. And so it's a promise from God to do certain things and it's promise from people to be loyal and meet certain things. Okay, so the first thing I heard you say was that a covenant is effectively an agreement. Yes. It's it's like a contract. Yeah. Sort of. Uh, like a like a written statement, a document, an understanding between two different parties. You're going to do this and I'm going to do this. When God is creating a covenant between two part himself and someone else, he's always the senior party. Yes. And then, and then further, as we're going to get into, typically it involves, well, when it's an agreement and when it's God, because of the nature and character of God. He always keeps his promises. He's unchangeable. He's always faithful. He's always true because of those things that we already know about God. Then that means that when it comes to a covenant with God, he's always going to keep it. So it comes off like a promise basically. Yeah. That's what I hear you saying. Yeah. Okay, great. Thank you for indulging me in that. Okay. So we've talked about covenant and to tell the grand narrative of the Bible, you're going to do it through the covenants. Yes. Okay. How, how so? Yeah. So the story of the Bible starts off with creation. And right off the bat, after God creates Adam and Eve, he makes a covenant with Adam and Eve. He says, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So this covenant, they are basically to take care of Eden. And also, a lot of scholars think that it's to spread Eden across the earth. Um, so they're supposed to tend the garden, take care of uh, this place that God has created for them and put them in charge of. Um, but it's not really too long after that that Adam and Eve fail. Um, they are tempted by the serpent. They choose the knowledge of good and evil over the knowledge of God. And that brings on consequences. They get kicked out and uh, there's a curse on Satan. And, you know, there's more to this. This curse, this is called the Edemic Covenant. Uh, so there's more to this curse than uh, I'm reading here, but since we're doing it pretty quickly, I'm going to focus on the important verses. And this verse is Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's talking to the, the serpent here. And between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so, as the story goes on, you find out that the serpent is Satan. So, the offspring of Eve is going to deal a death blow to Satan. It's going to bruise his head. But, the offspring of Eve will also be wounded in the process. And so, now they're kicked out of the garden. Um, they're not allowed back in the garden. Um, so, they go on and things actually get worse. You have Cain killing Abel. You have, you pretty much get violence um, in the next part. And it gets so bad that God is going to destroy the world with a flood. It's kind of a decreation moment. He's going to wipe out all the things except for Noah. So as he uh, comes in, you have the flood and you have the Noahic covenant. After the waters subside off the earth, um, it lands on dry ground. And you have the Noahic Covenant, and in Genesis 9-11, it 
God tells Noah, I establish my covenant with you that never again will all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. Now, this is part of it because Noah is also told to be fruitful and multiply. Basically, the creation covenant is repeated, and then God makes a new one with Noah specifically. And so he's not going to destroy the earth, and they're going to be cut off. But quickly things go bad. You have wars again, and then you have humanity that tries to build a ziggurat or a temple that goes to the heavens. They're trying to, since become gods themselves, kind of in, invade God's realm. And so then he scatters the languages and scatters the people over the face of the earth. And so as that's happening, you come in and then you have the next covenant. Okay, before we move on, yeah. there's a lot going on here. And so I just want to make sure that I'm I'm tracking with the story. Yeah. So I'm your host today, Paul Rutherford, and we're talking about the grand narrative of the Bible on this Head and Heart podcast with Tom Davis. Thanks for explaining this to me, Tom. And so we talked about telling the story in terms of covenants, in particular with God having an agreement with people. The first thing that I heard you say was that God made an agreement or a covenant with Adam. And that was where he said, have dominion over the earth, be fruitful and multiply. Yes. Is that right? Okay. So yeah. if, if I'm summarizing here, because I love stories, I love being a student of humanities, you and I talk about story a lot. So this is the story of a God who is, and a God who loves, and a God who is creative. And he creates the universe in the beginning. And as a part of the universe that he creates, he puts something in his creation that reflects his own image, an image bearer, something that looks like him in a certain way, and that is man. And this man has a special task and a special mission to carry out as part of the creation. And he also has a special relationship with the creator, something that the other parts of the creation don't have. Yes. Am I following you on that? Yes. Okay. So that was, that was a, if we're going kind of blow by blow, if you will, or if maybe the better way to put it is covenant by covenant, the first agreement is between God and Adam. And then the next thing I heard you say was that there was an agreement between God and Eve or Eden. After man had sinned and fallen, he cursed the serpent, he cursed Adam, he cursed Eve, and also prophesied what was to come later, what he was going to do later in his creation. Yeah, he Do has, I have that second movement right? Yes, yeah. It's uh, basically, yeah, it involves Satan, Eve, and Adam. Each one of them to get a curse, but there is also that promise in there. So yeah, that that's basically, that's pretty correct. Okay, and then so that, that vein continues, and this is the first time where creation has rebelled. That's the significance of the fall. Yes. That's the significance of this covenant that we're talking about. But in a continuation of that, mankind just continues to be wicked, continues to be evil, continues to be violent. The earth is just filled with pride and arrogance, and I think what you were talking about with man, rather than doing what God told him to do, which was make more Eden, take Eden, the garden that I've made, and I want you to turned the entire earth into an Eden, uh, rather than facilitating that, man decided, hey, rather than you being God, I'm going to be God, and I'm going to create my own temple, my own religion, and I'm going to build myself a monument that takes myself up into the heavens. Yeah. Is that, did, I, did I get you? Yeah, yeah. That? And in the meantime, God destroyed all of humanity except for Noah. Yeah, because he destroys all of humanity except for Noah before they build the ziggurat and try to make themselves God. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, that's uh, basically what's going on with the ziggurat. And in between, you have you have the weird thing with the 
sons of God and the daughters of man. Right. Which theologians and Bible scholars debate what that means. And, um, you know, then you have you know, just a series of, of people killing people, people being ruthless. And that culminates with the flood. So God kind of just wipes everything out. He was like, enough of this. And he wipes all of that out and brings the flood, but he saves one family. And that family is to carry on, pretty much carry on God's work. Okay, we'll keep going. So those are the first kind of three movements. All right. An agreement with Adam, an agreement with Eve or Eden, and then an agreement with Noah. Yeah. Those, those are the first three movements. What's next? Yeah, so the next one is the uh, Abrahamic covenant. And this is Genesis 12, 2 and 3. God tells Abraham, And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is going to bring restoration and bring a blessing to all of the earth and all of humanity through Abraham and his family. Okay, so this covenant is with Abraham. Yes, and what's required of him and his family is loyalty to God. And as we've seen already with the previous covenants, that's a problem. <laughs> yeah, there's not a good track record on man's side. Of no. Keep, of keeping up his, his end of the deal. Yeah, and as we look at it, Abraham fails. And then um, Isaac and Jacob fail. All of his descendants fail. That These descendants that are going to be a great nation, that it's going to bless all the earth. They all fail all the way the rest of the way through the book of Genesis. Joseph is the best of them. And it looks like, as a kid, he might have had a little bit of arrogance because he was the favorite son. But he's he's the best of them. He's the one that really stands tough when it really counts. Um, but all, all his brothers, Isaac, Jacob, they all fail. And so then that brings us to the next covenant because God doesn't really curse them, but he moves from that covenant to a new one. Okay, and so before we move on... I just want to make sure I've got this. So we're talking about the grand narrative of the Bible today on this hopefully two-part episode of Head and Heart, talking with Tom Davis. And uh, the grand story of the Bible, you're you're going to focus in, in order to simplify a really big book, on the agreements between God and his creation, or yeah. what's called covenants, as theologians call covenants. Yes. And the first one is with Adam. The second one is with Eve or Eden. The third one is with Noah, that God's not going to destroy the world again. And then the fourth one is with Abraham, that God is going to create a, a special blessing to him, create his own nation, and he's going to bless the whole world through him. And he's chosen this man as the patriarch to do so. Yes. Is that right? Okay. All right. Yep. I think I've got the story so far. Yeah. So what's the next part? Um, the next part um, kind of happens real quick because the book of Genesis ends with Abraham's descendants living in Egypt and they're at peace with the Egyptians. You go into the book of Exodus, and it's like 400 years later, and all of Abraham's descendants are slaves. And so they're in slavery, and God brings them, someone to lead them out of Egypt, and uh, that's Moses. And he makes a covenant that's known as the Mosaic Covenant. It's not really Moses. a covenant with Moses, but it's a covenant with what at this time was considered the nation, the nation of Israel. Which he made through Abraham. Yes. As God said he would. Yes. Yeah. And so the Mosaic Covenant comes through Moses, um, and it is actually 
a covenant that is showing God's faithfulness to his covenant he made with Abraham. Mm, that makes sense. And so as he takes them first out of slavery, he's taking them into the desert, and this is before they go to enter in, and he makes a covenant with the whole nation. And um, this covenant, uh, we find we find this in Exodus uh, chapter 19, and it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So they're supposed to be priests, which means they are supposed to be God's representatives to the rest of creation, the rest of humanity. And they're to be a holy nation. So they have, you know, certain part of the covenant is there are certain rules they're supposed to follow. And this is where you get into the Ten Commandments as being part of this covenant. Yeah, okay, this one makes sense. The Mosaic Covenant, the law, is probably one of the most famous aspects of the Old Testament. Yeah. For even casual, not even students, probably non-students of the Bible, they've heard of the Ten Commandments. And so what I hear you saying, Tom, is this next movement in the story of God making a creation for himself and then interacting with his own creation is that he he went into an agreement with what we call the Mosaic Covenant, which was kind of through Moses, but necessarily not necessarily to the man himself. Yeah. Because the agreement was with the nation of Israel. The agreement was with the people that God had said in the previous covenant, I'm going to make a people for myself. I'm going to do it through you, Abraham. And once they're created and established and they're you know, of decent size at this point, I've heard varying estimates it could be between a million plus or minus people, which is a lot of people, yeah. especially back then. But the agreement is with God and his people. And what I heard you say was the promise, the agreement is that the intent is that God is making a kingdom of priests. He's making a whole a group of people who would be an intermediary between himself and the rest of the world. So his intent is to bless the world and to do it through this particular people. Yes. And part of that includes the law. Yeah. Here's what it means to be who you are. I'm going to give you an identity. Here's how I set you apart from myself among other nations. Yeah. Yeah. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them um, kind of the fast and the feast that you have given later on in Exodus and uh, repeated in Leviticus. And of course, it doesn't take long for the people to break this covenant and violate their end of the agreement because Basically, to sum up all the law and these priests, their their job is to be loyal to God and to represent him well. And Moses is up on this mountain, and they haven't seen him for a while, and so they decide to make a golden calf as a representation, you know, an idol, which an idol in, in the ancient mind was... The way the ancient people thought of it, an idol wasn't nothing, and the idol also wasn't the God itself. But the idol was the representation of God, and the different gods that they worship would at times be present in the idol. Yeah, got it. So they, they build this idol, and they start worshiping this other god, this the calf. calf. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is probably referring to something that they've seen back in Egypt. Uh, so they start worshiping this, they break it right off the bat. So before they even get into the promised land, they violated the covenant. Oh, so sad. But God remains faithful and brings them into the promised land. But and you, you have this rough time going through the judges, and they have judges. The last judge is technically Samuel. And uh, through that, they, the people 
want a king over them. And so they give them Saul. Saul's the first king. Uh, the second king is David. And David is, you know, he's known as the man after God's own heart. Yeah, famous. And David has his faults. He's sinful. But David is very loyal to God. God makes a covenant with David. Okay, so there's another covenant coming up. Yes. And that's the covenant with David. Yeah, and so this, what we see here with David, it says, um, there's part of it here in, in 2 Samuel seven sixteen, And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So there's going to be an eternal throne, and one of David's descendants is going to be on that throne. So a forever kingdom. Yes. Through one of David's descendants. Yes. Okay. And David is the best of the kings. You have Saul, who started off good, but finished as a very bad, selfish king. And then you have David, who's the best of the king. And you have some other good kings, but it's basically downhill after David. Yeah. Second Kings and Second Chronicles is a, is a beating to read through. Yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. a litany, mostly bad kings. Some, yeah. were, some were okay. Yeah, they're unfaithful. But... They're, they're worshiping other gods. They're making sacrifices to other gods. Um, their thinking is, we want to be loyal to God. The Hebrew name for God is Yahweh. So they want to be loyal to Yahweh. But just to cover their bases and to make sure, you know, in case Yahweh is not up to some kind of task or something, um, they want to make some sacrifices to Baal to make sure that way if God doesn't bring the rain, maybe Baal will. Yeah. And that was just a common mindset in, in the ancient Near East at that time. Yeah, I see how they can get there. Yeah. Yeah, okay. All right, so to make sure I'm, I'm tracking with you here, Tom. So talking about the grand narrative of the Bible today on Head and Heart podcast and you want to be telling the, the whole story of the bible the grand narrative not to focus in on any on any particular one story but you're going to do that through talking about the covenants that god has cut between himself and other agents and so you began with adam and the in the beginning god created everything he created people for himself and then he gave adam a job he said i want you to to have dominion over this earth and cultivate and keep it he couldn't do it didn't do it broke it and then we have the fall, and God has another agreement with, with Adam again, with Eve. He cursed, they get a curse because they broke the covenant. But then there's also another promise that one day he's going to fulfill everything. He's going to, someone's going to come who's, what did you say? He will, he will bruise your head and he shall bruise your heel. The, it's the words that God uses to, to talk to the serpent. Then the next covenant is, uh, with Noah, that God promises, hey, I'm not going to destroy the whole world again. The trend line is still down. Humanity is still not going great. So God basically starts over. And then there's another covenant where God chooses Abraham and God says, hey, I'm going to create a special blessing and a people to bless the entire earth. And I'm going to do it through you. Abraham doesn't keep his bargain either, but God does. And eventually God creates his nation through the family of Abraham. And God chooses uh, Moses to give the people the law, to define them, to give them a national identity. And then to, to also this next covenant, the Mosaic covenant, is that God's people are going to be a kingdom of priests, that God wants to bless the whole world through his people Israel. And they don't keep that covenant either. Like you talked about the golden calf as a great example. Moses isn't even down from the Mount Sinai yet before they've already broken it. Yeah. Horrible. Uh, God delivers them into the promised land. They get the blessing that God promised them. Uh, the people ask for a king. God 
relents and gives them a king and raises raises up Saul. David is probably the best example of a, the good king of Israel. And then God has another covenant with David and says, I promise one of your descendants is going to sit on the throne forever. And so the covenant is there will be an eternal throne and one of your descendants is going to sit on it. Have I got it right, Tom? Yes. Okay, awesome. So I think we're, I'm up to speed with you. What's next? Eventually, God judges Israel and sends Israel into exile. And right about that time with the exile, you start hearing talk through the prophets of there's going to be a new covenant. And we find that uh, one of the passages here that's really relevant is uh, Jeremiah 31 and 33. He says, I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So God's going to have people he's going to put, instead of the law being external. On stone tablets. Yeah, on stone tablets. That's given to Moses. That they look at. Yeah. yeah, it's going to be internal. God's going to write their law, you know, within them. And that's super cool. Yeah. And he uses, he uses the same language. They will be my people. And, you know, it's stated several times um, in the Old Testament as you're going through the prophets. It's kind of something that's echoed like this. This next thing is coming. There's going to be a new covenant made. And um, then you come to Jesus, who is kind of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Jesus is the king that will sit on the throne. Um, the eternal throne, and he will never be unseated. Okay, so the next covenant is is Jesus, yes. effectively, is God, is the fulfillment of at least one covenant you've mentioned already, and I assume others. Yeah, yeah, and there's others, and it gets repeated even in uh, one interesting passage in the New Testament that kind of parallels back to the Mosaic Covenant is in First Peter 2.9, where um, Peter's writing, he says... Uh, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called you out of darkness and in who is marvelous light. And this covenant, each covenant, if you go back and read, each covenant, um, with the exception, I think, of the uh, Davidic covenant, it has a sacrifice for it, a sacrifice as, as part of the agreement. This new covenant has the sacrifice, and that sacrifice is Jesus. Jesus' death on the cross. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So this new covenant is sealed with Jesus' death on the cross. The blood of Jesus is that. And it really echoes what Israel was supposed to be. So there's a continuity and a discontinuity between Israel and the church. And so it's no longer, this covenant isn't restricted to a nation, but it is a select people that will come from the nations. Um, and we find the mission of this covenant, the mission of these new covenant people in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, uh, the Great Commission, go yeah. therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So that continues. The church, which is where we are now, is working either, depending on which end times view you hold, either until the rapture or until Christ returns. And the story ends with Revelation 21 and 22, where creation is remade. And instead of a garden, you have the celestial city, the new Jerusalem. 
Wow. Okay. That's a lot. Okay. So I hear you saying this last and final covenant is with Jesus and it's a, it's a new covenant. It's prophesied in the prophets that it was going to come. Uh, he's the fulfillment of at least the Davidic covenant that you've mentioned that he would be the king that would rule on the eternal throne. And that you also said that it's a, it's a change in the agreement in terms of it's not, it's no longer an agreement just with the nation of Israel. in terms of, if you think of them as a ethnicity, as those who are just like biological descendants of Abraham. And it's, it's more about an identity. It's about a select people, those whose hearts are for God, those who, those who are believers effectively as, as the new Testament goes on to reveal that those who have professed faith in Jesus are part of those people. And so God enters into an agreement with those people. So it's a new kind of a covenant in terms of it's no longer with a, a biological people group. It's with a spiritual people group. Yes. Yeah. I got it. Awesome. Well, that's amazing, Tom. Thank you for sharing the grand narrative of the Bible. Do you think you can summarize that and start go start to finish and give it to us all? Yeah, we can kind of go through um, this. You you have God creates the world. He creates man. He makes a covenant with Adam, the first man, and that covenant is technically also with Eve. Adam and Eve don't keep that covenant. They break that covenant because they fall for the temptation of Satan, and they choose the knowledge of good and evil over the knowledge of God. They get kicked out of the garden, and God ends up destroying the earth because it's everything's just going so bad, but he picks one's family, the family of Noah, and he makes a covenant with Noah. And Noah's family doesn't do a good job of keeping that covenant. So God continues this covenant, makes covenant with Abraham and his family. And even though Abraham and his family don't do a good job of keeping their covenant, God doesn't abandon that family. He takes that family and he makes a nation, a nation of Israel, and he makes a covenant with that nation. And then he picks one king out of that nation because the nation, again, isn't doing a good job of keeping the covenant. So he picks one king and he makes a covenant with that king, King David. And King David isn't perfect, but he's pretty good. He's the best king they have. And David is mostly faithful. But that covenant is that David will always have a descendant that sits on the throne eternally. That is fulfilled through Jesus. And with Jesus, there is a new covenant made um, that's not restricted to the people of Israel. It includes everyone. And that covenant is that the church is to go out and represent him and to make disciples of the nations. And then Christ returns, and justice is restored, and creation is redeemed and restored itself. And so that's probably the quickest summary going by the covenants. That's awesome. So thank you, Tom. Thank you for that that summary. That was a very helpful. Listener, I hope you got that. That was helpful. That was probably, a, I think, about two minutes. I was trying to watch the clock there, Tom. I think that yeah. took you about two minutes to get through. And so, listener, I hope that's really helpful, that when you get an opportunity to talk with someone about your faith and it's, you know, you're having coffee or lunch or it's a friend, you know, maybe they don't understand the book and they just think it's a dusty old ancient manuscript and you can tell them, well, actually it's a really incredible story about God creating everything and entering into a relationship with his people. And then you can tell them the story. That's really our hope for today. Yeah. Yeah. That was really good, Tom. I appreciate that. And just a comment for myself. I just think that's incredible how the story goes. Yeah. It's, it's really fascinating and the way that's, 
it connects everything in the in the Bible and it does kind of holds it together. And it's beautiful how I love a happy ending. I'll be yeah. I'll be a sap. I'll own it. <laughs> I love happy endings. What can I say? Yeah, and this is a very happy, ending. A very happy ending. It's it's amazing who we understand God to be, loving and powerful and all knowing and all good. And he creates a universe for himself and for his glory and creates the people and a relationship. And just there's filled with this hope and this wonder, but then sadness enters because they break it. And I'm sure God's heart was just grieved for what happened and at the same time longing to restore it. And yet there's this really long story of this kind of back and forth, back and forth relationship between God and his people looking forward to the one day when they can be reconciled, when they can be restored in their relationship. And then that happens in the fulfillment of Jesus. And then we look forward now into Revelation and other prophecies, and we can see that not only has that relationship um, been allowed to be restored, the rest of the created order will one day be restored. It will be put back to the way it was meant to be from the beginning, which is the answer to what we call sin as Christians. But everyone around us, every worldview, every major religion acknowledges there's something wrong with the world. Yeah. There's something not right about it. There's There's a discrepancy between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. Everyone everywhere acknowledges that. And this is an incredible story that gives us an incredible explanatory power for that observation, which is part of why this is such a powerful topic to talk about a biblical worldview as a story. Yeah, it's really powerful. It kind of sums that up, gives direction to the way you think about things and um, helps almost keep you centered in some ways. Yeah. Well, this is incredible. Tom, we're way over time, but... I think it's been really good. This is really, we needed all the time to get through the story because it's a big book. It's a big story. But being that this is part one of the episode, the rest of our comments about this and about biblical worldview and biblical narrative, we're going to save for the next episode, is, right? That's the plan? Yes. So I know I have a lot more I'd love to say, but we'll <laughs> cut it for today and we'll call this a, call this an episode. Is there anything anything we cut, anything you meant to bring up there, Tom, before we, before we wrap this? No, on this one, um, that's it. Because in the next one, we'll be be discussing some of the other things, the different thoughts that I have on this, expanding it in a sense. Yeah, we'll be expanding it. We'll be talking more about the themes that we couldn't get into. Yeah. The next episode we'll talk about, we'll comment on it, we'll analyze it, we'll talk about other worldview frameworks, and I'm excited to have that conversation whenever we get around to that. But listener, I hope this has been helpful for you to understand that this is a story, this is a narrative, and this equips you to make a lot of connections to maybe some other stories that you had heard of but didn't know how they fit into the big picture and equips you to be an ambassador to tell this story. And that's my challenge to you today. Tell this story to somebody. If it's not today, in the next seven days, that you, hey, can I tell you the story of the Bible? No judgment. I just want to tell you this. Did you know that it's the story? Can I tell you the story? That's my challenge to you. So my name is Paul Rutherford. I've been your host today on this new Head and Heart podcast by Probe Ministries. We've been talking about the grand narrative of the Bible with my uh, esteemed colleague, Tom Davis. Tom, thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, I had fun. Listener, we will see you next time. 